0: Our Father and our God, on this morning, we worship you and lift you up because of who you are, because of your amazing grace. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to be here, Father, to gather in this room and online as a family. Father, we pray that you would use this time for your purposes. I ask God that you would speak through me, speak in spite of me, and do what only you can do in each of our lives personally and God in our life collectively as a church family. We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name. And everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated in the room. If you're at home and you're standing up, you get extra credit. But I think everybody who is here, let's go ahead and welcome in everybody who's worshiping (laughs) with us online. We love that we get to do this and cannot wait for everybody to be back in the room together, hopefully and prayerfully, very, very soon. Well, it was about four years ago that our family was in London, England. We had been kind of touring the city and had seen Buckingham Palace and St. James Palace and Churchill's Bunker and all this stuff and we were touring the area right around Parliament and Westminster Abbey when my wife Julie noticed there were hundreds of police barricades stacked up, ready to be deployed. And she asked our tour guide, now, are these barricades always here or is something going on? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. And I'm not even going to attempt his British accent, but it was so cool. He said, no, no. You just happened to be here in London for an historic occasion. He said, tomorrow, the queen will open parliament. And so as such, she will come by horse-drawn carriage from Buckingham Palace, right down Whitehall, here to parliament, to open parliament. It will be a grand spectacle. If you can, you ought to watch this. Well, my wife, Julie, you'd have thought that somebody told her Elvis was going to moonwalk down the street. She looked at her and she, like, she started asking our guy, like, can, 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 can we see her? Can we see the queen? Then she turned to me and told me, you need to make this happen. Figure out where we need to be, when we need to be there, and get on that. I was like, yes, dear, I'm on it. So I went to our hotel concierge, and as it turned out, the parade route was literally down the street from where we were staying. And So the next morning, I got up early and went out and kind of staked out a place and, and found where the queen's parade was going to take a turn. So I thought if we're kind of here on the turn as she comes at us, we'll have the longest view possible instead of just kind of seeing her go by. And I got out there, the family had had breakfast. I was out in the cold and the rain holding down a place and, and all of a sudden at the appointed hour, the queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II, came down the streets, you could hear her horses for the carriage, kind of on the cobblestones. It was really and truly something to behold. As a matter of fact, let me show you just a quick video of what happened when the queen showed up. How cool is that? That'd be a great way to go to church on Sunday, wouldn't it? Here she comes. I'll admit, the carriage is a little gaudy. But she is the queen, so you, can get her, you know, cut her some slack. Here she comes. Hello, hello. Now, that was Prince Philip on the side closer to us. She was on the other side. In case you blinked and missed it, let me show you a picture, and I'll show you the queen. You can see the queen's profile right there. I was like, from here to the front row, to the Queen of England. Now, I told you that to tell you this. When we got down to this place where she would pass by, there were a couple of women there at the parade route who were well into their 60s. And they could kind of tell as they heard us talking amongst ourselves as a family that we were not native Brits. And they turned around and they started kind of informing us. And we found out that These women who were deep into their 60s, they had never laid eyes on the Queen of England. They had gotten up before zero dark 30 in the morning and traveled miles and miles to be here for this day. And so when the Queen finally came by, these two women lost Their mind. I mean, they went crazy. They were hugging each other, laughing and cheering and crying. They started hugging us, laughing and cheering and crying. It was absolutely unbelievable. This was for them literally a once in a lifetime moment. We were just some Americans who happened to be at the right place at the right time who got to share in the experience. Please don't miss this. Grace. Grace. The amazing grace of God in its biblical, purest, truest form, grace is like the queen's carriage that day in the parade. Grace carries the power. Grace carries the personality of the sovereign, the one who sits on the throne. Grace is more amazing than we can even get our minds around. Grace is the heartbeat. Grace is the lifeblood and the soul of the sovereign King of kings and the Lord of lords. Grace is who God is and what he does. This is what grace is all about. And that's why this series that we're kicking off today is so, so critical. We've entitled this series, Very simply, grace, period. Just just grace, because it is so important. I would suggest to you that this series that we're kicking off today some of us here in the room, some of us online, but all of us together grace may be the most significant, the most important teaching series that I have ever preached in my life. It may be the most significant series as a church family that we have ever tackled in the history of ever. It is just that important. We have to get this right. We have to own deep down in our souls the concept and the idea and the experience as well as the expression of grace. We got to own it. I want you to turn to your neighbor and with a smile on your face and with passion and enthusiasm. Tell them, own it. Own Own grace. I, I wonder, what if? What if grace became the calling card for Lake Hills Church? What if grace, check this out. What if grace became the dominant theme of your life. What would our families look like if we decided, if we determined once and for all to experience and to express grace? Students, what what would your lives look like if if people just kind of sensed in you something about, about grace? I think part of the appeal of grace, part of why grace is truly amazing, is because it is universally appealing. You may be a, maybe you're a long time follower of Christ, you're a veteran of the faith, and you've been around, but you know, man, you, you, you understand at a gut, visceral level, the grace that you have received, you understand how you need it, and you understand the difference that it's made in your life when you have lived in it and lived it out. But by the same token, I think, Maybe maybe you're an atheist. You're not even remotely interested in the things of God, but you're just kind of, for whatever reason, kicking the tires right now. I think even for that person, there's something inherently powerful, inherently beautiful about the idea of grace. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been stopped By law enforcement for speeding. Let me just see a show of hands if you've ever been stopped by law enforcement for speeding. Thank you for being honest. Now, how many of us who have ever been stopped for speeding have gotten a warning? You've gotten a warning instead of having to pay the fine, show up, okay? Isn't that the greatest feel? I mean, you're just like, it's like you won the lottery. I, I, got, I got a warning about three years ago. I was driving to go help one of our kids who had had car trouble out of town, stranded on the side of the highway. And I had kind of crept up over the 65 mile an hour speed limit. I was about 67. The problem was I was coming out of a small Texas town where the speed limit was 45. <laughs> and sure enough, I saw the DPS trooper going the other direction and I went, oh, I'm going 67. I'm not going to get stopped. And I saw the lights turn on and they hit that U-turn. You know that U-turn, that fast U-turn that DPS troopers learn at DPS school? I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I was going 67. He pulls me over and he says, well, you were coming out of the town and the speed limit coming out of town is 45. I was like, okay, technically, maybe He said, but I understand you're going to help your your child with car trouble or whatever, so I'm gonna give you a warning. Now, he would have been well within his rights. I was 22 miles an hour over the speed limit. It's not that funny. But I was 22, almost almost 50% over the limit. And he gave me a warning. I, I I drove away, I was so excited. I called Julie, I go, Julie, I just got stopped. He gave me a warning. She goes, honey, that's awesome. Why don't you not speed? I go, that's not the point of the story. The point is, I got a warning. We all understand that feeling when you get something that you don't deserve. Grace is that something. Grace is what God has given to humanity. Grace is what Jesus Christ embodies and offers to anyone who would follow him. That that sense of grace. One theologian said this, that grace is what is required to know truth, avoid sin, act well, pray fittingly, begin to have faith, and persevere in faith. Grace is the motivating power of the Christian life. Philip Yancey called grace the last best word. Because every English usage retains some of the glory of the original. Grace. Grace is not just something that we say at the dinner table. Remember when we were kids, you, know, you would learn that God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Did anybody else ever have trouble with that particular blessing? Because food and good do not technically rhyme. Like I wanted to say, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. But it, it just never really rang true. Grace is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. Grace is what we are called to. Grace is what we are called by. Grace is the Christian faith. Now, grace is the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelations, But there's a passage of scripture, three verses that we're going to use as our foundation throughout this entire series. It's found in Ephesians chapter number two. In Ephesians chapter two, verses eight, nine, and 10, the apostle Paul tells us what grace is and what grace means. It's interesting as you read the letters of the apostle Paul. He uses the word grace no later than the second sentence of every single one of his letters that appear in the New Testament. Paul knew grace. Paul, who had previously been known as Saul and had spent his life and devoted his entire life work to killing and persecuting followers of Jesus. Paul Paul had received grace. And so because he knew its value, Grace became his greatest prayer and his greatest passion for the people to perceive and to receive from God. And this is what Paul writes, inspired by the Spirit of God, in Ephesians chapter 2. He says that God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. Check this out. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Grace is a gift from God. I wanna encourage you to write down a definition of grace, something that whenever you see the word grace, and you think about the the true meaning, the pure meaning of grace, what it it stirs up within you, in your mind and in your heart, is this definition. Grace simply means unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited. That means undeserved, unearnable favor from God, or, or kindness from God. Now that that sounds pretty good. We all love that, don't we? And, and it is true. It is absolutely amazing. But think about what that also means. It also means that you and I have nothing to do with it. Now think. Now that that kind of sounds almost un-American, doesn't it? I mean, we're we're supposed to be, you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and earn your way, and God helps those who help themselves, which by the way is not in the Bible. Grace is nothing that you have done. Grace is nothing that I have done. As a matter of fact, this is what separates Christianity from all other world religions. All other religions focus on man, getting to God, grace and the Christian religion and faith is God coming to man. This is what theologian John Stott said about grace. He said, grace is God loving, God stooping, God coming to the rescue, God giving himself generously in and through Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing picture and image God stooping, God stooping. Like when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he stooped, God stooped from heaven to give us what we could not have done for ourselves, to give us this free gift called grace. It's it's, it's so amazing. Here's what I'd like to tell you about grace. I think grace is so amazing, so far beyond amazing, that amazing can't even see Grace's taillights. I mean, when you think about what God has done that none of us deserve, you you listen, you could be an usher in a church worship service in the middle of a global pandemic, and God's not gonna love you anymore. It also means that God's not gonna love you any less. Grace is a gift. It is a gift from the hand of God. But where we get in trouble is when we minimize grace, when we cheapen grace, or when we fail to even comprehend what it really means. The best way I can explain it is this. Julie and I have shared with you before, we've, we've been blessed out of our minds that as our kids grew up, we actually have collected a couple of bonus kids. We, we've got some bonus daughters in our lives. These are not girls that were born into our family. We never changed a diaper or, you know, paid for their college or anything like, which by the way, if you can do that, that's the way to have kids. I mean, that's, that's a good deal. But these two girls, Allie and Sylvie have blessed us so much. And Allie is an RN. She's a Nick U nurse at Seton hospital here in town. She is a ridiculously gifted, talented, and intelligent healthcare professional. And recently, when when Allie was at the beach, Allie failed to apply her sunscreen well. Now, this is is somebody who went to college to be a nurse. This is somebody who understands how the human body works. And for whatever reason, when she got down to the beach, she was using one of those spray sunscreen cans and just kind of, like, just did like a drive-by application of the sunscreen. And... It didn't work out well for Allie, and, and I thought about this. I, I thought I could try to describe to you what happened, but I think a picture will tell the tale even better. Let's see Allie's legs after that drive-by sunscreen application. I don't want to. I want to make sure everybody can see it. I don't want to stand in anybody's way. Now, if y'all will keep that picture up there for a second, I, like I told you, Allie is super smart, bright, sharp, intelligent. That's, that's not good. That that but here's what happens. If we have a drive-by, superficial, shallow understanding of grace, that will result in our lives being exposed to the harmful UV rays of a fallen world and will will make us vulnerable, will will damage our faith, we'll then have a superficial, drive-by, shallow faith. Grace is the sunscreen that protects us from those harsh UV rays of a fallen world. Grace helps us to understand how God operates and therefore how we operate in this world. In, In short, grace changes everything. Grace changes everything. I want you to turn back to your neighbor and tell him again, own it, own it. You have to understand what grace really and truly does. It's one thing if you, if you can walk out and you go, well, grace is unmerited favor that I could never earn. That's that's cool. But what does that really mean? How do we own that? How, what does it look like in our lives? I want to give you just a list. If you've got something to write with or maybe to put on your phone, I want to give you a list of the main things that grace changes. Number one, grace changes entitlement. Entitlement is kind of part and parcel of the human experience. I would suggest to you that entitlement was actually the original sin. Now, it wasn't just the fact that Adam and Eve ate fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was entitlement. How did Satan first appeal? He said, God told you not to eat from that because he knows that when you do, you will be like God. And Eve and then Adam after her began to feel entitled to that fruit. They began to feel entitled to that position, to that authority. And that is what led to the problem of sin. But grace, grace changes entitlement to worthiness. Grace changes entitlement into worthiness. We're never entitled to anything, but by grace in Jesus Christ, we are counted worthy as children of God. We are counted worthy as joint heirs with Christ. We move from entitlement to worthiness. The second thing that grace changes, and I I made up a word on this one, so I want you to go with me for just a second, but I think it works. Grace changes worksaholism into a calling. Worksaholism. Now, we all know what a workaholic looks like. That's somebody who works repeatedly over and over again, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and they're just always going and grinding. But a worksaholic, a worksaholic is a spiritual issue. A worksaholic spiritually is somebody who thinks that if they do enough good things, then God will approve of them. If they can just be nice enough... God will let them in. If they'll just be good, God will let them in. This is one of the great fallacies of religion. Again, that that somehow we can earn God's favor. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is not by works. It is by grace that you have been saved. The free gift of God. You can't do anything to earn the favor or forgiveness of God. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. So the worksaholic, grace changes worksaholism into a calling. Because of the grace of God, we move from being works-oriented to being calling-driven. We now understand our calling in Christ. And so that's what drives us. We're responding to the grace that we've been given. We're not trying to earn it. We're just responding to it. And that becomes passion. That becomes discipline. That becomes freedom. Grace also changes comparison. Anybody ever struggle with comparison? You ever do that? Man, I do that all the time. Does anybody, let me, I'm gonna ask you a serious question. This is gonna sound rhetorical, but it's not. Anybody ever look at social media and think, oh man, how come they got to go there? How come some of you, when I told you that our family went to London four years ago, you're like, I've never been to London. <laughs> that, that comparison thing is always playing on a loop in our brains. Grace takes comparison and changes it to complimenting. Complimenting with an E, not an I. I don't mean like, hey, you look nice today. I mean complimenting as in completing, fulfilling. Instead of looking at other people as comparison or competition, we understand that other people are complimenting who we are, that we work together in community, complimenting one another. And it's when that happens that we can celebrate. Look at that. Those people, they got to go to the beach this summer. That's awesome. I'm so happy for them. I hope none of them catches COVID as opposed to, look, they went to the beach. I bet they all get COVID. That's not... Grace changes comparison into complimenting. Grace changes legalism. All of us, I think, have known people, some of us maybe have been people who tend or drift towards legalism. You're gonna keep the letter of the law no matter what. Don't elbow anybody that you're sitting next to. Grace changes legalism into obedience that is based in love. Obedience, instead of being legalistic, like, like the Pharisees that Jesus was constantly, in, constantly confronting, you, you move to obedience that is rooted in love. When you understand the gift of grace, then all of a sudden, you, you wanna be obedient. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Yes, there is truth in scripture. Grace never mitigates truth. Grace never undercuts truth. We're gonna get into that throughout this series. But it does motivate obedience and love. Grace takes judgmentalism. How many of you have ever been around somebody judgmental? Just let me see a show of hands if you have been around somebody who's judgmental. That is less than fun, isn't it? Well, grace changes judgmentalism and turns it into forgiveness. Grace takes judgmentalism and turns it into forgiveness, or you could say forgiveness slash compassion. Instead of being judgmental, you understand that there's a person in need of grace just like you're a person in need of grace. And so you change your attitude in your heart. Grace changes ingratitude, ingratitude, and turns it into appreciation. And I say appreciation in the strictest sense of the word. To appreciate something doesn't just mean, hey, thank you, love you, mean it. To appreciate something means that you increase its value. It grows in value. If you buy a car, the second you drive it off the lot, it begins to depreciate. But if you buy land on the Pacific Ocean, it is always appreciating. It's growing in value. They ain't making any more dirt. Appreciation means that you are growing in value what you place on all of that which God has entrusted to you, all of that which God has given to you. But there's one last thing that I I almost missed, but it's too significant to skate by. It's too important to do a drive by on grace changes death into life. Grace changes death into life. You, you gotta understand this. This is not like grace helps you be a better person. Great grace will make you nicer. It will, but, but nice is just the cost of doing business spiritually. Grace takes us from being dead to being alive spiritually. Romans chapter six, verse 23 says this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wages of sin is death. That means that what I have earned in and of myself, what you have earned in and of yourself is death. That's that's the wages. That's, That's the just payment of sin. The sin that you have, the sin that I have, the sin that we have inherited spiritually all the way back to the garden. The natural result and consequence of sin is death. Grace changes death into life. And I think this is where we sometimes drive by on grace more than any other. Because the truth of grace is that apart from Christ, I am dead in my sin. The Bible says there is no one good, not even one. The book of Isaiah says that our righteousness, the best that I can do is like filthy rags before a holy God in and of myself. But, but, the free gift of God is eternal life, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is what Jesus came to do. This is the vehicle for the personality and the power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He turns death into life for anyone who would follow him. I wanna ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment And in this moment, I want to invite everyone to own it. That's, That's the application this week. To consider, to ponder, and to own the amazing grace of God. If you're here today and you've never stepped over that line of faith. Maybe you're watching online somewhere, maybe it's Sunday morning, maybe it's weeks later, but wherever you may be, it is an act of grace that God brought you to this point. That he made sure you heard and understood and have the opportunity to own the amazing grace of God. And so again, As a church, we would just invite you to follow Christ, to choose to trust him more than you trust yourself and begin a relationship with him. If that's you, we invite you to do that just right where you are by praying, by praying a prayer of commitment, a prayer of surrender to him who, by the way, is the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. That's not how grace operates. But if that's you, then we invite you to pray, just silently, right where you are, in your own words, something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need, I want, and I accept this free gift of your grace I confess my sin to you holding none of it back and I will follow you I will trust you more than I trust myself from this moment forward Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, I wanna just ask you to remain with your heads bowed for another moment. Bowing our heads is just an act of humility before a perfect God. But if that was your prayer, you need to know there's nothing more important to us as a church. That moment in your life and others like it is why we exist. And so if you would, I want to ask you just to do something very, very briefly, but very deliberately with us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed for just another moment. If that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just lift your hand quietly, but unmistakably, and hold it up for a second. Your hand in the air is just a physical, physical, Expression of the spiritual commitment you just made. And as a church, we honor that. We wanna help with what's next. And our family tradition around here is, as you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.